Chapter Twenty Six of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter Twenty Six The Threesome. Whether or not I was to be so much blamed, or rather perhaps pitied, I must leave others to judge. My shrewdness, of which I have a good deal, too, seems not so great with the ladies. No doubt, at the moment when I wakened her, I was thinking a good deal of the effect upon James Moore, and similarly, when I returned, and we were all sat down to breakfast, I continued to behave to the young lady with deference and distance, as I still think to have been most wise. Her father had cast doubts upon the innocence of my friendship, and these, it was my first business to allay. But there is a kind of an excuse for Katrina also. We had shared in a scene of some tenderness and passion, and given and received caresses. I had thrust her from me with violence. I had called aloud upon her in the night from the one room to the other. She had passed hours of wakefulness and weeping, and it is not supposed I had been absent from her pillow thoughts upon the back of this to be awaked with unaccustomed formality under the name of miss drummond and to be thenceforth used with a great deal of distance and respect led her entirely in error on my private sentiments she was indeed so incredibly abused as to imagine me repentant and trying to draw off the trouble betwixt us seems to have been this thought singly of james moore his return and suspicions. She made so little of these that I may say she scarce remarked them, and all her troubles and doings regarded what had passed between us in the night before. This is partly to be explained by the innocence and boldness of her character, and partly because James Moore, having sped so ill in his interview with me, or had his mouth closed by my invitation, said no word to her upon the subject. At the breakfast, accordingly, it soon appeared we were at cross-purposes. I had looked to find her in clothes of her own. I found her, as if her father were forgotten, wearing some of the best that I had bought for her, and which she knew, or thought, that I admired her in. I had looked to find her imitate my affectation of distance, and be most precise and formal, Instead, I found her flushed and wild-like, with eyes extraordinary bright, and a painful and varying expression, calling me by name with a sort of appeal of tenderness, and referring and deferring to my thoughts and wishes like an anxious or a suspected wife. But this was not for long, as I behold her so regardless of her own interests, which I had jeopardized and was now endeavoring to recover, I redoubled my own coldness in the manner of a lesson to the girl. The more she came forward, the further I drew back. The more she betrayed the closeness of our intimacy, the more pointedly civil I became, until even her father, if he had not been so engrossed with eating, might have observed the opposition. In the midst of which, of a sudden, she became wholly changed, and I told myself with a good deal of relief that she had took the hint at last. All day I was at my classes, or in quest of my new lodging, and though the hour of our customary walk hung miserably on my hands, I cannot say but I was happy on the whole to find my way cleared, 
the girl again in proper keeping, the father satisfied or at least acquiescent, and myself free to prosecute my love with honor. At supper, as at all our meals, it was James Moore that did the talking. No doubt but he talked well, if any one could have believed him, but I will speak of him presently more at large. The meal at an end, he rose, got his great coat, and, looking, as I thought, at me, observed he had affairs abroad. I took this for a hint that I was to be going also, and got up, whereupon the girl, who had scarce given me greeting at my entrance, turned her eyes upon me wide open with a look that bade me stay. I stood between them like a fish out of water, turning from one to the other. Neither seemed to observe me, she gazing on the floor, him buttoning his coat, which vastly swelled my embarrassment. This appearance of indifference argued, upon her side, a good deal of anger very near to burst out. Upon his I thought it horribly alarming. I made sure there was a tempest brewing here, and considering that to be the chief peril, turned towards him and put myself, so to speak, in the man's hand. "'Can I do anything for you, Mr. Drummond?' says I. He stifled a yawn, which again I thought to be duplicity. "'Why, Mr. David,' said he, "'since you are so obliging as to propose it, you might show me the way to a certain tavern.' of which he gave the name, where I hope to fall in with some old companions in arms. There was no more to say, and I got my hat and cloak to bear him company. And as for you, say he to his daughter, you had best go to your bed. I shall be home late, and early to bed and early to rise. Gar's body lasses have bright eyes whereupon he kissed her with a good deal of tenderness, and ushered me before him from the door. This was so done, I thought on purpose, that it was scarce possible that there should be any parting salutation. But I observed she did not look at me, and set it down to terror of James Moore. It was some distance to that tavern. He talked all the way of matters which did not interest me the smallest, and at the door dismissed me with empty manners. Thence I walked to my new lodging, where I had not so much as a chimney to hold me warm, and no society but my own thoughts. These were still bright enough. I did not so much as dream that Katrina was turned against me. I thought we were like folk pledged. I thought we had been too near and spoke too warmly to be severed, least of all by what were only steps in a most needful policy and the chief of my concern was only the kind of father-in-law I was getting, which was not at all the kind I would have chosen, and the manner of how soon I ought to speak to him, which was a delicate point on several sides. In the first place, when I thought how young I was, I blushed all over, and could almost have found it in my heart to have desisted, only that if once I let them go from Leyden without explanation— I might lose her altogether. And in the second place, there was our very irregular situation to be kept in view, and the rather scant measure of satisfaction I had given James Moore that morning. I concluded on the whole that delay would not hurt anything, yet I would not delay too long neither, and got to my cold bed with a full heart. 
the next day as james moore seemed a little on the complaining hand in the matter of my chamber i offered to have in more furniture and coming in the afternoon with porters bringing chairs and tables found the girl once more left to herself she greeted me on my admission civilly but withdrew at once to her own room of which she shut the door i made my disposition and paid and dismissed the men so that she might hear them go when i supposed she would at once come forth again to speak to me i waited yet a while and then knocked upon her door katrina said i the door was opened so quickly even before i had the word out that i thought she must have stood behind it listening she remained there in the interval quite still but she had a look that i cannot put a name on as of one in a bitter trouble are we not to have our walk to-day either so i faltered i am thanking you said she i will not be caring much to walk now that my father has come home but i think he has gone out himself and left you here alone said i and do you think that was very kindly said she asked it was not unkindly meant i replied what ails you katrina what have i done to you that you should turn from me like this i do not turn from you at all she said speaking very carefully i will ever be grateful to my friend that was good to me i will ever be his friend in all that i am able but now that my father james moore has come again there is a difference to be made and i think there are some things said and done that would be better to be forgotten but i will ever be your friend in all that i am able and if that is not all if it is not so much not that you will be caring but i would not have you think of me too hard it was true what you said to me that i was too young to be advised and i am hoping you will remember i was just a child i would not like to lose your friendship at all events she began this very pale but before she was done the blood was in her face like scarlet so that not her words only but her face and the trembling of her very hands besought me to be gentle I saw for the first time how very wrong I had done to place the child in that position where she had been entrapped into a moment's weakness and now stood before me like a person shamed. Miss Drummond, I said, and stuck, and made the same beginning once again. I wish you could see into my heart, I cried. You would read there that my respect is undiminished, if that were possible, I should say it was increased. This is but the result of the mistake we made, and had to come, and the less said of it now, the better. Of all of our life here, I promise you it shall never pass my lips. I would like to promise you, too, that I would never think of it, but it's a memory that will be always dear to me. And as for a friend, you have one here that would die for you. I am thanking you, said she. We stood a while silent, and my sorrow for myself began to get the upper hand, for here were all my dreams come to a sad tumble, and my love lost, and myself alone again in the world, as at the beginning. Well, said I, 
we shall be friends always. That's a certain thing. But this is a kind of farewell, too. It is a kind of farewell, after all. I shall always ken Miss Drummond. But this is a farewell to my Katrina. I looked at her. I could hardly say I saw her, but she seemed to grow great and brighten in my eyes. And with that I suppose I must have lost my head, for I called out her name again and made a step at her with my hands reached forth. She shrank back like a person struck, her face flamed, but the blood sprang no faster up into her cheeks than in what it flowed back upon my own heart at the sight of it with penitence and concern. I found no words to excuse myself, but bowed before her very deep and went my ways out of the house with death in my bosom. I think it was about five days that followed without any change. I saw her scarce ever but at meals, and then, of course, in the company of James Moore. If we were alone even for a moment, I made it my devoir to behave the more distantly and to multiply respectful attentions, having always in my mind's eye that picture of the girl shrinking and flaming in a blush, and in my heart more pity for her than I could depict in words. I was sorry enough for myself, I need not dwell on that, having fallen all my length and more than all my height in a few seconds. But, indeed, I was near as sorry for the girl, and sorry enough to be scarce angry with her save by fits and starts. Her plea was good. She had been placed in an unfair position. If she had deceived herself and me, it was no more than was to have been looked for. And for another thing, she was now very much alone. Her father, when he was by, was rather a caressing parent, but he was very easily led away by his affairs and pleasures, neglected her without compunction or remark, spent his nights in taverns when he had the money, which was more often than I could at all account for, and even in the course of these few days failed once to come to a meal, which Katrina and I were at last compelled to partake of without him. It was the evening meal, and I left immediately that I had eaten, observing, I suppose, that she would prefer to be alone, to which she agreed, and, strange as it may seem, I quite believed her. Indeed, I thought myself but an eyesore to the girl, and a reminder of a moment's weakness that she now abhorred to think of. So she must sit alone in that room where she and I had been so merry, and in the blink of the chimney whose light had shone upon our many difficult and tender moments. There she must sit alone, and think of herself as a maid who had most unmaidenly proffered her affections, and had the same rejected. And in the meanwhile I would be alone some other place, and reading myself, whenever I was tempted to be angry, lessons upon human frailty and female delicacy. And altogether, I suppose, there were never two poor fools made themselves more unhappy in a greater misconception. As for James, he paid not so much heed to us or to anything in nature but his pocket and his belly and his own prating talk. Before twelve hours were gone, he had raised a small loan of me. Before thirty, he had asked for a second, 
and been refused. Money and refusal he took with the same kind of high good nature. Indeed, he had an outside air of magnanimity that was very well fitted to impose upon a daughter, and the light in which he was constantly presented in his talk, and the man's fine presence and great ways went together pretty harmoniously, so that a man that had no business with him, and either very little penetration or a furious deal of prejudice, might almost have been taken in. To me, after my first two interviews, he was as plain as print. I saw him to be perfectly selfish, with a perfect innocency in the same, and I would hearken to his swaggering talk of arms and of an old soldier and a poor highland gentleman in the strength of my country and my friends, as I might to the babbling of a parrot. The odd thing was that I fancied he believed some part of it himself, or did at times. I think he was so false all through that he scarce knew when he was lying, and for one thing his moments of dejection must have been wholly genuine. There were times when he would be the most silent, affectionate, clingy creature possible, holding Katrina's hand like a big baby, and begging of me not to leave if I had any love to him, of which, indeed, I had none, but all the more to his daughter. He would press and indeed beseech us to entertain him with our talk, a thing very difficult in the state of our relations, and again break forth in pitiable regrets for his own land and friends, or into Gaelic singings. This is one of the melancholy airs of my native land, he would say. You may think it strange to see a soldier weep, and indeed it is to make a near friend of you, says he. But the notes of this singing are in my blood, and the words come out from my heart. And when I mind upon my red mountains, the wild birds calling there, and the brave streams of water running down, I would scarce think shame to weep before my enemies. Then he would sing again, and translate to me pieces of the song with a great deal of boggling and much expressed contempt against the English language. It says here, he would say, that the sun has gone down and the battle is at an end and the brave chiefs are defeated and it tells of how the stars see them fleeing into strange countries, or lying dead on the red mountain, and they will never more shout the call of battle, or wash their feet in the streams of the valley. But if you only had some of this language, you would weep also, because of the words of it are beyond all expression, and it is mere mockery to tell you it in English. Well, I thought, there was a good deal of mockery in the business, one way and another, and yet there was some feeling, too, for which I hated him, I think, the worst of all. And it used to cut me to the quick to see Katrina so much concerned for the old rogue, and weeping herself to see him weep, when I was sure of one half of his distress flowed from his last night's drinking in some tavern. There were times when I was tempted to lend him around some, and see the last of him for good. But this would have been to see the last of Katrina as well, for which I was scarcely so prepared. And besides, it went against my conscience to squander my good money on one who was so little of a husband. 
End of chapter 26